0: Greetings. This is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts. And today we will take a look at Acts chapter 25, verses 1 through 27. In our last session, Paul was in Caesarea, in prison. He'd already been there for two years, and there had been a trial Felix, the procurator of that region, was the judge. The Jews had brought their accusations before Felix, and Paul had effectively defended himself. However, Felix was not willing to let Paul be released because he hoped that Paul would give him some money as a bribe before his release. So Felix had Paul brought to him often. However, Paul consistently used this as an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with Felix and to teach him from the scriptures that Jesus is the promised Messiah. But in the end, we know that Felix walked away from it all when he was replaced by Festus. Well, before we move on, I I do want to share with you something that Dr. H.A. Ironside wrote in his commentary on the book of Acts. He writes, this man Felix, Antonius Felix to give him his full name, was appointed by Claudius Caesar to be procurator in Judea some two years before Paul was arrested and brought to stand before him. He was a most unprincipled man, an ungodly, scheming politician who stooped often to the very lowest of methods in order to bring about his own purposes. It is recorded of him in history that when he could not accomplish his purposes, he would not hesitate to call into his service a group of assassins, a a secret order bound together by an oath, who were pledged to undertake to destroy anyone for whose death they were paid. Felix, in this way, managed to remove a great many of his enemies and, as he fancied, to secure his own position. But he proved, as men always find who stoop to cruel and wicked methods to obtain and hold, however, that he failed dismally. But a few years passed before he was in disgrace. And so far as we know, he died a suicide. How sad. As we ended our last teaching, I observed that Felix, like Judas, was almost saved. But he was not saved as far as we know. And in the meantime, Paul was still alive, in prison in Caesarea, now in the hands of a new procurator, Festus. Let us now turn to our Bibles to learn what happened next. Acts chapter 25, beginning with verse 1. Now when Festus had come to the province, after three days he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul, and they petitioned him, asking a favor against him, that he would summon him to Jerusalem while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea, and that he himself was going there shortly. Therefore, he said, Let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there is any fault in him. And when he had remained among them more than ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. When he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which... They could not prove. While he answered for himself, Neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I offended in anything at all. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? So Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you very well know. For if I am an offender, or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying, but if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar." Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, You have appealed to Caesar? To Caesar you shall go. Festus was a very different man from Felix. We read that within three days of his arrival in Caesarea, he traveled to Jerusalem to meet with the high priest and other key city officials in order to introduce himself and to pay his respects. The high priest and the members of the Sanhedrin saw this as an opportunity to get their hands on Paul once and for all. So they used this meeting as an opportunity to ask a favor of their new procurator. Their explanation was once again misleading. As they shared with Festus their version of what Paul was guilty of, They requested that Paul, being a Jew, should be brought back to Jerusalem for more questioning. Of course, their hidden agenda was to ambush Paul while in route, and kill him. Once again, I, I find it amazing, shocking, that these men who knew the law, taught the law, and prided themselves on keeping the law would conspire to murder an innocent man. However, Festus wisely said that if Paul was to be questioned, it should be in Caesarea, and they were welcome to travel with him on his return. They agreed with this plan. After all, they had no choice. This was the only option available to them now, But in his decision to keep Paul where he was, I see the hand of God protecting Paul as well as keeping the promise he made to him. Do you remember it back when Paul was first arrested and began giving his defense? Jesus came to him in his prison cell and in Acts 23.11 it says this, but the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Therefore, even in this, Jesus is sovereign over the plots and plans of man. Dr. Warren Wearsby adds to our insight Uh, the dynamics of what was going on here. He writes, Festus lost no time in visiting the holy city and paying his respects, and the leaders lost no time in bringing up Paul's case. The new high priest was Ishmael. He had replaced Jonathan, who had been killed by Felix. Ishmael wanted to resurrect the plot of two years before and remove Paul once and for all. It is not likely that the new governor knew anything about the original plot or even suspected that the Jewish religious leaders were out for blood. Since a Roman court could meet in Jerusalem as well as in Caesarea, transferring Paul would be a normal procedure. Festus would probably not demand that a large retinue go with him, so an ambush would be easy. The Bible says that after ten days, Festus returned to Caesarea. The next day he had Paul brought before him so that the men who had accompanied him would be able to present their charges. This was Paul's fourth trial on charges that he has not yet been found guilty of. And this time was no different. Verse 7 says that as the Jews were presenting to Festus their charges against Paul, that they were not able to prove their charges. And in response to their charges, Paul stood before Festus and all his accusers and declared with confidence, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I offended in anything at all. His response tells us that the charges that were made against him on that day were the same as before, as recorded in Acts 24, verses five through six. Let's read them again. For we have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, and a a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He, He even tried to profane the temple and we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. Festus clearly has seemed to be a different sort of man from that of Felix, in, in also in his style of governance. He, he was a man of action and, and quick decision. However, in one thing, he was the same. Verse 9 informs us that Festus wanted to do the Jews a favor. Perhaps this was because he knew that Others in the past had experienced a great deal of difficulty in ruling the Jews, and doing them a favor might help him have an easier time of it. But this would have been at Paul's expense, and he knew that Paul was an innocent man. When Paul finished his defense, Festus asked him if he was willing to go to Jerusalem for a more formal trial. And at this point, Paul knew that there was no way that he was ever going to receive a fair trial from the Jews in Jerusalem, nor from a man who wanted to do the Jews a favor. The only place that would give him an unbiased hearing would be in Rome, in Caesar's courtroom. So Paul made his famous demand, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you very well know. For if I am an offender of or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying, but if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me of, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. And although Paul's demand caught him off caught uh, Festus off guard. Uh, he quickly responded that Paul, as was the privilege of a Roman citizen, would indeed go to Rome for his trial and judgment. Let me pause to share with you an observation that one commentator makes regarding Paul and the false accusations that he endured, not just here, but throughout his ministry. Because I think we can learn much from this, applying the principles learned to our own Christian lives. He writes, Again, Paul had to sit and listen to his angry opponents hurl false accusations against him. This had been going on for years. There was nothing new in their argument. It was the same old litany of unsubstantiated charges. But even untrue words have power. Power to damage reputations... Wound the spirit, and keep feelings of ill will stirred up. Be careful not to imitate the behavior of these religious men. They were guilty of breaking the ninth commandment. Also, when others make untrue statements about you, do as Paul did resist the urge to retaliate, simply speak the truth and trust in a just God to make everything right. I am reminded of the Psalms of David and how often he would cry out to the Lord in his times of distress because his enemies were telling lies about him, slandering him, wanting him dead. So many Psalms are filled with his emotions and thoughts and prayers. But whenever he turned to the Lord, and laid his situation before the throne of God, his faith would be strengthened, and he would sing songs of praise and worship. And even though his situation hadn't changed in that moment, for him, the battle was done, and the victory had been won, because God had heard his prayer. Listen to some of David's faith-filled declarations. Psalm 34, verses 17 through 19, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Psalm one hundred eighteen twenty one. 21, I will praise you, for you have answered me and have become my salvation. Psalm 56, nine through 11. When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. In God, I will praise his word. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? I think it is from these and so many other verses in the Psalms that Paul was able to continue to persevere in his trials and sufferings over his many years of ministry, and even during this trial. Later, Paul would write the following in his letter to the church in Rome. In Romans 8, beginning with verse 31, what, What then shall we say to these things? who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. And Christ was making intercession for Paul and strengthening him, giving him the wisdom and the words to speak on that day. He had made his appeal to Caesar, so now it was just a matter of time when he will be on his way to Rome to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, just like Christ had promised him he would. Well, let's continue with our account in Acts 25, beginning with verse 13. And after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. When they had been there many days, Festus had laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a certain man left a prisoner by Felix, about whom the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem asking for judgment against him. To them I answered, It is not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meets the accusers face to face and has opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charge therefore when they had come together without any delay the next day I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought in when the accusers stood up and they brought no accusation against him of such things as I supposed but had some questions against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who had died whom Paul affirmed to be alive and because I was uncertain of such questions I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters, but when Paul appealed to be reserved for the decision of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I could send him to Caesar. Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. So the next day when Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp and had entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city at Festus's command, Paul was brought in and Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men who are here present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing deserving of death, and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. I have nothing certain to write to my lord concerning him. Therefore I have brought him out before you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the examination has taken place, I may have something to write." For it seems to be unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against him. So, after a few days, King Agrippa and his wife Bernice came to Caesarea to visit Festus, as we read. And once again, I think it is important to know who this important person is, or was. So Warren Wearsby gives us a little bit of background into these two people. He writes... The youthful king, the last of the Herodians to rule, was the great-grandson of the Herod who killed the Bethlehem babies, and the son of the Herod who killed the Apostle James. The fact that his sister lived with him as his wife created a great deal of suspicion on the part of the Jewish people, for their law clearly condemned incest in the book of Leviticus, Rome had given Herod Agrippa II legal jurisdiction over the temple in Jerusalem. Added to this is the fact that the Herods were partly Jewish, uh, being descendants of Esau, the twin brother of the Jewish patriarch Jacob. And Agrippa had a, a reputation for being very knowledgeable in Jewish law and customs, therefore, it was logical that Festus would bring Paul's situation to his attention. Actually, Festus had a problem. According to Roman law, if it had not been proved in a court of law that a defendant was guilty of a crime, the prisoner had to be released. Paul had now undergone four trials and each time the charges that were brought against him were not proven. And yet after all this time, he was still in custody, in chains, in prison. So in order for Festus to send Paul to Caesar, well, the usual procedure is that the prisoner was found guilty of a crime and the prisoner was appealing that decision. But in Paul's situation, there is no crime. And yet he has appealed to Caesar and therefore they had to send him to Caesar. Festus wanted King Agrippa to hear the case again so as to help Festus determine what, what crime he had been convicted of. Because all that Festus could determine is that the complaint of the Jews had to do with their own laws as, as well as the fact that Paul asserted that a man by the name of Jesus had died and Paul kept insisting that Jesus is alive again. Paul was now on his fifth trial Only this time, the proceedings began with great fanfare because of the presence of King Agrippa and Bernice, along with many powerful citizens and Festus and Paul's accusers. And once again, Paul saw this as yet another opportunity to share Jesus with people who otherwise might never hear the life-saving message of the Savior. But I want you to notice, my friend, what is actually happening here. Because Jesus is the King of Kings, and Paul is his servant and ambassador. He is the one who is going to speak to this audience, and the gospel message they will hear will put them on trial. Will they believe the message? Will they receive it in faith? Well, We'll learn what happened in that trial in our next session. But until then, let me conclude with this thought from the Life Application Bible Commentary. Festus' description of events is a vivid picture of the secular mindset. He spoke of a dead man named Jesus and of being at a loss how to investigate these such matters. Festus' attitude is prevalent today. Unbelievers in this post-Christian culture do not understand Christian doctrine or terminology. Christian theology and presuppositions are completely foreign to them. Even the word God means something vastly different to a secular audience. If we are to communicate the gospel effectively, we can no longer assume anything. Take the time to understand the so called postmodern worldview and ask the Spirit of God to help you learn how to take the old, old story to a new and rapidly changing culture. But I would like to add to this good counsel. Yes, we must know our audience, but we must also know the Word of God. So I would add that we need to take the time to study and know the Word of God. I'm not saying that you must be an expert in the Bible in order to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Word of God is powerful, and even one verse is strong enough to transform a life. However, the more you know is the more you can share, and the more you understand, the more you can explain. Let me ask you this. What priority does the Bible have in your life? Is it your joy? Is knowing it your desire? Do you know that God has chosen to reveal himself to us in his word? And he speaks to us through his word. Do you want to know Jesus? Then seek him in the pages of your Bible. You will find him there. Remember this. In 2 Timothy 3, Chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, Paul writes, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know, following the death of Moses, Joshua became the leader of the Israelites. And just as God had done with Moses, he spoke to Joshua with counsel on how to lead his people into the Promised Land. What was the instruction that God gave as the primary thing he was to do if he was to be a successful and effective leader? Was it instruction on warfare? No, Was it counsel on how to establish a town? No. Listen to what God said in Joshua chapter one, verses six through eight. God said, be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to your fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, For then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. You know, the very first psalm in the book of Psalms gives us the same wise counsel. It is written, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the path of sinners nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Knowing the word of God is to know God. And knowing the Word of God is knowing how to live for God. And knowing the Word of God brings blessing beyond description all the days of your life and beyond. Heavenly Father, we thank you, O God, for your Word And for the testimony of your servant, Paul, who was steadfast in his faith and trust in you, was bold in his testimony, and used every opportunity that was given to him, whether the situation was good or bad, to tell the people before him about Jesus and to teach them from your word. You have called us to be your witnesses, to be your ambassadors, to the world around us, to the people that we come in contact with. And I pray, O oh God, that you would prepare our hearts like you prepared Paul's so that we would be just as steadfast, just as faithful, just as bold to tell others about Jesus. It is a life-changing message that has eternal consequences and you've entrusted it to us. We thank you for the gift, and we pray for the strength. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, if you're finding these messages helpful and encouraging, or if you have a question that you would like to ask, please feel free to email me at bibletimewithjane at gmail.com. That's all one word, lowercase, Bible Time with Jane at gmail.com. So until next time, my friend, be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Trust in him with all your heart. He will never fail you. God bless you, my friend.